Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I have no medical background, but I'm a 40-year-old woman who has gone through freezing her eggs. I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, a CREI certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. We started the podcast with the aim to provide easy-to-understand information on hard concepts relating to fertility, infertility, and all aspects of women's health. If you enjoy listening to Knocked Up and find our resource useful, please take a moment to leave a review as this really helps others to find us. Welcome back to Knocked Up. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Raylia Lou. It's the two of us again. Welcome, Raylia. Thank you. Welcome, Jody. Our questions today, Raylia, are from our team at Women's Health Melbourne, and it's frequently asked questions. So, first question I have for you today is... When I call and make my appointment, there's a few weeks wait before I see you. Why? So I work full-time, five days a week, pretty busy. <laughs> I've been really lucky in my practice that it is really popular. And I think one of the reasons is we make so many babies and we love it. And we love looking after our patient. And we give our patients time for their appointments. It's not a five-minute appointment. And there's only so many patients that I can see and give quality care to at one moment in time. But it's actually actually quite a big advantage to have a few weeks wait in the lead up to an appointment at Women's Health Melbourne because when we arrange the appointment for you, we ask you questions about your background and, and what your story is and how you've come to seek my help. And often we give you a tailored list of some investigations that it's useful to have done prior to your first appointment to make sure that you get the very best value out of your appointment in terms of setting you on the right path towards achieving your goals. So some tests that we do include genetic screening that takes about a month, believe it or not, for results to be available. And that's really important in the fertility journey so it's not necessarily a bad thing to have time to do an ultrasound, to have time to do some blood tests and to have time for those results to be available by the time I meet a couple for the first time. So why do you need so many tests done? Fertility is definitely not a one-size-fits-all kind of medicine. In fertility medicine, we need to solve problems and detect what is going on. But to do the very best job for every patient, I like to cast a fairly wide net and make sure that I don't miss anything. So that the solution that 
we come to together, both from a logistical and kind of problem solving point of view, but also to think about what a patient really wants to do and, and what the spectrum of options kind of gives them the availability to do with a really good prognosis. And so to give that kind of guidance and that individualized, I guess, counseling so that it can really empower decision-making, I need to know a lot about my patient. And I find that I would much rather pause and gather that information at the beginning rather than react to a more kind of casual circumstance where we might find out information as we go, because really that really does allow us to sometimes avoid scenarios where a patient has a prolonged course of treatment that isn't targeted or that isn't successful. It's much better to have that fact-finding mission right at the beginning, know what we're dealing with, know what we're not dealing with, and make sure that the right patient treatment pathway is uh, something that a patient has the opportunity to consider. That sort of leads into the, uh, this next question, which is how long until I can start treatment from when I first see Dr. Rayaka? So look, it really depends on what that treatment is. For some patients, treatment will be ovulation induction therapy, and we can start that pretty much straight away. Uh, that's often the situation if someone's not releasing an egg every month. A common example is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So there are lots of opportunities in PCOS for low-level interventions. Of course, I need to know the male side of things because if a woman's not ovulating but her partner's not making sperm either, ovulation induction is not the right pathway for that couple together as a unit. <laughs> so we, we do need to know everything about both of you to really give you the right advice. I can tell you that if a woman turns up for treatment of her PCOS, and we don't test your partner and six months down the line after you've been ovulating regularly and not getting pregnant, we find out he has a very low sperm count. You're not going to be impressed and neither am I. So I don't put my patients in a circumstance where that could possibly happen. Because at the end of the day, I think that's why there is a wait time for our practice because we make babies, we counsel realistically, we choose the right treatment plan. We take a holistic view. We've got amazing team members. So my patients with PCOS know that they're not just necessarily going to see me, they might see myself, plus they might see a clinical dietitian, or they might get involved with our practice naturopath to try and work on diet and lifestyle simultaneously so that we can all offer different kind of perspectives working together to get them where they want to be, which is pregnant. Next question. Do we need to go straight to IVF? Very rarely, but some people do. So, for example, if there's a very, very low sperm count and we've investigated it thoroughly and unfortunately it is what it is and we're not going to be able to make it too much better, then certainly yes. If the fallopian tubes are completely blocked and there's no way of getting around that, then potentially yes. If we strategically want to go to IVF early because a woman has a low egg count and she's a little bit older and wants to have multiple children over the next few years, then the answer is maybe yes. So it really depends on the circumstances of the person. My PCOS patients who are not ovulating very rarely go to IVF. Occasionally they may for various reasons, like if there's a male factor as well, or if they've had multiple cycles of ovulation induction and they are wanting something that's got a higher yield 
in terms of the potential for a baby per cycle, they might choose to go to IVF at that point. But, you know, there's, there's really, I can't say too many times how different everybody is and how everybody's circumstances in fertility is so varied and factors in their favour and factors against them are very different person to person, even if they're the same age. And so really there are choices and different treatments have different potential benefits for different patients. So really kind of working out what options are on the table will really depend on the medical facts before me. And then what is a patient's preference? There are some people out there who want to be pregnant as soon as possible and want embryos in the freezer for baby number two or baby number three. And they want to go straight feline, straight to IVF. There are other patients whose goals include not going down an IVF pathway, if at all possible, for whatever reason, they may feel that IVF is not for them. And that's okay. We can then talk about all the other options available to them. Basically, going back to the first question you asked me before, how long does it take, sorry, second question, I suppose, how long does it take to start treatment? Anything that involves the laboratory, the IVF laboratory, requires a little bit more preparation including things like counselling and nurse orientation with my team. And that will take usually two weeks to get organised these days. It used to take a lot longer when in Victoria we had to do police checks and child protection checks, but they were done away with happily uh, earlier this year. So they are no longer something that's required in Victoria, bringing us in line with all the other states and territories in Australia. So... Really, it's just a matter of doing your mandatory counselling and making sure I've made your plan and that that plan is the right plan. Does my partner need to come to the appointment? Absolutely. It, it, it really is for fertility in heterosexual relationships and in same-sex relationships really important to have two sets of ears, two sets of eyes, and there are two sets of investigation because... You know, unless you're having a baby as a single mum by choice, you know, we do have two sets, two problem sets that we need to solve together. I can't tell you how many times, and, you know, not to be sexist or point the finger at the male, but it does tend to be the female who, when, when they come alone, it does tend to be the female who comes. You know, I can't tell you how many times male factor infertility is the reason. It's in at least 50% of same of, of heterosexual couples that there's a male factor and in at least 30% of those trying to conceive who need help, male factor infertility is the main deal breaker for natural conception. And, you know, male factor infertility is not purely diagnosed on a semen analysis. I've been treating a patient this week who has a partner who has a chromosome translocation. His semen analysis does look very abnormal, but you can have a chromosome translocation and have a normal semen analysis. And if you don't do the test, you won't find the reason. And it is possible for couples to go through rounds of IVF that are unsuccessful and then find that the embryos had genetic issues like a chromosome rearrangement. So, you know, one of the major things that I feel needs to be done right at the beginning is a very thorough workup so that we identify all the issues at hand and we address them. But yes, Absolutely, come as a couple. You know, there's no incentive to not come as a couple, especially these days. You know, there are some benefits of the COVID world that we now have telehealth, 
So even if it's a really difficult thing for you to be in the same place at the same time at a medical appointment, zoom in. You know, we've got the technology all set up now. I have a, obviously a preview of the questions. So I know the next question I ask almost answers the one after it. But I'm going to start with this one. Will Raylia do my procedures? So in terms of IVF? In terms of IVF, yes. I do my IVF procedures personally. Uh, I would love to work seven days a week in, you know, kind of theory, but it doesn't work for me. But your husband wouldn't like you to work seven days a week? And my children would never see me. <laughs> so, look, there's an amazing team of doctors at Melbourne IVF who are all friends and colleagues and we get on very well with each other. And we have a roster on weekends, which... Some of the times I will do procedures on weekends myself, but some of the times I will use the roster and have a day off with my family. Uh, when I use the roster, I have every confidence in my colleagues. We don't do egg collections on weekends, so it's only talking about embryo transfers and IUI procedures here, which is intrauterine insemination. But I would say I probably do 95% plus of the procedures myself. And... That's because when you ovulate, ovulate, you ovulate and we can't control when that happens. Yeah. So look, if I do an egg collection on a Monday for a patient who's going to have a fresh embryo transfer, that will fall on a Saturday, the day that the embryo transfer is done. Uh, but the embryo transfers that are done in a natural cycle, which is when we do rely on the ovulation as kind of the set point defining where the transfer will be. Um, I do actually do my very best to ensure that that falls on a day that I can be there. And one of the ways I do that is by scheduling a trigger. So a trigger is, is like a medical, so medicated surge. Mm -hmm. so instead of waiting for an ovulation surge, if you're nearly ready and you just need a little push so that it's not on a weekend, I do that. And I do that because it's my patient's preference that I do, do those yeah. procedures personally. And I love to do them personally. So the next question is why does my appointment time move? So often a patient will have an appointment and they'll get a call from Renee or Alex from the reception saying, can you please move to 4pm when they had an yeah. appointment at two o'clock? You're laughing. Why has that happened? So yeah, I see what you're saying about it being related. So with IVF, when you do do your procedures yourself, life has this degree of excitement and uncertainty <laughs> for both doctors and patients. So in terms of for patients, you won't be told when you start an IVF cycle, your egg collection procedure is going to be on this day at this time. It's going to be decided 48 hours before it actually happens. And literally uh, 48 hours before. A little bit, maybe, maybe because a of the trigger, more, but approximately that exactly. So three days max before it happens, it's going to be scheduled. And so I need that flexibility. I make the decision as to when my patient's procedures will be um, at very short notice in relative terms compared to elective yeah. surgery where we have a list and we schedule things in with a lot more notice. Uh, so I manage that by doing most of my procedures on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. And I schedule them at the time that it's in the best interest of my patients, not when it's in my best interest or my convenience. And I feel that doing that is actually integral to getting a patient's best outcome. I think it's really scary to go into an IVF process for many patients. And it's actually very comforting for patients to know the person who's doing their procedure. And often they've chosen 
chosen you. I'm very honoured to be chosen as my patient specialist. And I do my very, very best for them with all the technical skill that I've developed over the years of my career to try and get their best outcome at every time point. So it's a privilege to be able to do that. But one of the downsides is that the daily schedule does change a little bit of short notice. And uh, we um, ask our patients to know, kind of forgive us that, that little bit of need that need that flexibility. Having said that, it's, it's a big part of obstetrics and gynecology in general. Babies don't always come on time. And, you know, it's, it's a familiar thing even before I the very beginning. concept in a, in an obstetric practice that, um, you know, patients look in horror as their doctor runs out the door when they've been waiting in the waiting room for a certain amount of time um, when they run off to deliver a baby. So it's, um, it's a little bit like that. But, you know, one thing that we do at Women's Health Melbourne to try and give our patients the very best uh, opportunities to do other things in that time if the appointment is changed is to give you as much notice as is practical. And my team do a really great job of, contacting patients and, and giving them notice so they're not hanging around and waiting for me. We reschedule, you know, to a time where I can be there, hopefully, as best as I can on time to give them the amount of time that they deserve rather than rushing through things to be somewhere else. This next question sort of links in as well. When I call up, why can't I speak to Raylia on the phone? My days are a little bit crazy. So what I do as a proceduralist, CREI subspecialist, is I do consult patients. I run IVF cycles that are being kind of done and monitored uh, and making decisions for every patient personally. I operate, so I'm a surgical specialist as well, doing laparoscopic surgery for things like endometriosis. And I also do research and I teach at Melbourne University and I visit the public hospital. So I've got a lot on my plate. Um, also a working mum of two boys who are beautiful, but, you know, these are, these are lots of balls in the air. And unfortunately, when I'm dealing with one of those tasks at hand, like in a surgery or doing an egg collection or doing an embryo transfer or teaching a group of university students or what have you, doing an operation, I can't necessarily a patient. to the phone, <laughs> seeing a patient, um, trying to give them all of my attention. I can't necessarily come to the phone immediately. However, if my staff do take a query from a patient, I will either get back to them personally or delegate one of my amazing team to get back to them with a response that does come from me. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. It actually takes a village or a team to create a child uh, in the fertility world. And, you know, one of the th reasons that I can you know, kind of make so many babies is that I do have that amazing team. And, you know, at Women's Health Melbourne, one of my missions has been to build that amazing team. And it's a very different team to what many doctors and clinics work with. It is a small team and it is an intimate team. So I do have personal relationships and personal interactions with all my team members and so do my patients. And, you know, kind of, um, I remember when we posted Jean's um, birthday... <laughs> On yes, nice Instagram, on our, yeah, absolutely. Jean's one of my amazing team members. She got so much love on our Insta. It was so beautiful to see. My patients really love her. They love her involvement in our team. Also, all my all my nurses and all of my uh, other team members, my allied health team members. We all work together for the 
benefit of our patients' experience. They help me to be able to answer those questions, even when I'm indisposed for a moment or two. Why can't we get our pathology results before our appointment? I mean, you can ring up whenever as a patient you have uh, a pathology test done, you can ring the pathology lab and they can provide you with copies of your results. They're yours. Um, but, you know, in terms of results review, these are really serious tests and they have to be interpreted not on the run, not while doing 50 other things, giving the full attention to the patient. And the right thing and the thing that I always ask patients to do is book a review appointment to discuss results. That's how medicine works. That's how medical practice works, that we meet, we make a plan, we implement that plan, be it seeking investigations to give us more insight. And then we sit down together and we go through that plan. The way results come to me electronically is one at a time in a bunch of hundreds. I get literally hundreds of results every day from hundreds of patients, all mixed up, not all in one go. So I don't synthesize your results as they arrive. I look at them individually and out of context and I press accept and they go into your file. When I actually sit down to synthesize that information, putting it together is when I'm with you. And so I won't be able to give that analysis on the run in between all of the other things I do. it's something that we do at your review appointment. At embryo transfer, can they tell the sex of the baby? So the easy answer to that question is no. In genetic testing of embryos, when we have a report release, the information is withheld from me as to what the, the sex of the embryo is. If an embryo hasn't had genetic testing, there's no way by looking at it that you can tell the gender. Uh, If you have had genetic testing of an embryo, be that for a specific condition to avoid having a baby with a problem or just for screening purposes if you're a bit older and want to find out which embryo should not be transferred. Those embryos that have been tested do have that information available at the level of the laboratory. The reason they don't get disclosed to me as a specialist is that in Australia at the moment, sex selection for gender balancing or family balancing reasons is not legal. Uh, I have a patient this week that I've done gender selection on for medical reasons, and that's different. Her uh, family has a history of a child affected by a condition more prevalent in males. And by choosing a female, we've avoided passing on as big a risk of, of that condition recurring and the condition is severe autism. So girls definitely have a lower risk than boys of expressing severe autism. Uh, We don't really know why. In terms of uh, gender selection for medical reasons, that that is available. But for family balancing reasons, you've had two boys and you want a girl, it's not available, unfortunately, in Australia. I say unfortunately because I would like it to be available. I think a lot of IVF specialists would like it to be available because I don't think it would be in terms of um, my experience with my practice, I don't think it would be misused. Why don't we give out prices? We do. In terms of when a patient calls to make an appointment, our reception team will ask what kind of appointment they need and will give informed financial consent. In terms of 
treatment costs for individual treatment. It, it's not a menu like you walk into a restaurant and you say, oh, I'll have that. Uh, I use Melbourne IVF as my laboratory and on the Melbourne IVF website, the higher end assisted reproductive treatment costs are transparently available. So we would direct patients, should they wish more information about that in a generic form, to that website. Uh, the reason we don't put it on our website is it does change very frequently uh, mm. in terms of, uh, you know, kind of ups and downs as treatments evolve, hopefully in yeah. the downward direction most of the time. Yeah, well, we had quite a and dramatic it, change earlier this year that we found out about through a patient. Yeah, was... absolutely. It used to be that egg freezing for patients that didn't have Medicare um, and that were coming from overseas, because there's a lot of countries around the world where egg freezing for single women is actually illegal. So has been illegal. Now that won't be such a big thing, I think, in COVID no, Not time. anymore. <laughs> so much travel, but it used to be that it was more expensive for patients in that circumstance. And, but yeah, no, we, we're very into full financial disclosure and um, definitely the Women's Health Melbourne services uh, are certainly available on request from our reception staff uh, when an appointment is made. But for those lab-based services, if I make a specific plan for IVF. It's not just ticking a box, you know. It, it's really, you know, making a plan that is specific to a person. And there's lots of technologies that I may choose to implement or to not implement selectively in an individual case, and that will make a small difference um, to the cost of treatment, as will if a patient has reached the Medicare safety net for the year or not, and also, and whether they have private health insurance or not. And it becomes a bit complicated. So we have a team member uh, called the PLA, Patient Liaison Administrator at Melbourne IVF, and we've recently welcomed a new PLA. And Felicity's job is really to interpret the plan that I have made for my patients and give them a very transparent and realistic and straight up uh, costing specific to what I've planned for them. Whereas on the website, it's a ballpark and it's generic. You know, come, we don't try and be the cheapest, we try and be the best. And that is a philosophy that I think is worthwhile. It's much better to have treatment that is at the best possible facility, giving the best possible access to the best possible specialists and technologies uh, than having multiple treatments at facilities that are more generic. Another one of our questions. You speak a lot about holistic care. And when I go onto the Women's Health Melbourne website, there's a list of specialists. How do I know who to see? So we have a beautiful team and a growing team at Women's Health Melbourne. We have the philosophy that we want to treat the whole patient rather than the disease. And we want to simultaneously provide the best care from many different angles. So... I ask my patients to consider seeing some of our allied health specialists and involving them in their fertility treatment plan or in their journey. If they feel that they would benefit from that, I feel they greatly benefit from that. There are things that we can change and there are things that are fixed about fertility. And some patients can be cured of the underlying condition, but in the most part for fertility, they can't. You know, nothing's going to get rid of a tendency for polycystic ovarian syndrome. A lot of the time with blocked tubes, we're not going to be able to unblock them. 
with many sperm problems, we're not going to be able to fully reverse them. We have to think of a get around, a solution, a way to make pregnancy happen despite the odds. And in terms of using our allied health team, trying to optimise a patient's health, nutrition, trying to reduce their stress, that is what our allied health team's mission is all about. Trying to improve metabolic factors that are really important for ovulation might get some patients over the line and not require other medical services actually at all in terms of conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome. So what I like to do is build a team. It's not designed so that you have to see everyone on the team, but that we, we make up that team in a bespoke fashion that is targeted to the patient's needs and to try and support our patients through the process beautifully so that we can firstly achieve our goals faster but also achieve them in you know a, a way that is less stressful and more direct so you can always have the best diet that you can possibly have that will improve your health going into a pregnancy it will improve the quality of your sperm that are being produced every day and the environment into which an embryo implants, whether that be naturally through IUI or through IVF. So that's what our allied teams are about and you can read all about them on our website. Uh, we have Georgia Borowski, who's our naturopath. We have Mandy Azale, who's our Chinese medicine and acupuncture specialist. We have Wendy Fideli, who's our clinical nutrition. And we form concentric circles with some overlap, but actually all of them can bring amazing benefits to our patients. And I strongly encourage anybody who's interested to explore the benefits that having a team approach can have. It's also another person in your support network, especially if you're not talking about it with your friends. Having that extra person who you see weekly or fortnightly as always required, it's someone else who can support you along your journey. And also, Raylia, once you've got someone pregnant, that's really where your job ends, where in fact someone has pregnancy to deal with and early stages of motherhood and having that network of allied professionals to support them helps through those times as well. Absolutely. And for all our patients who are listening who are at that other stage of uh, early parenthood, Georgia's also fantastic at giving advice about breastfeeding. She's the Australian Breastfeeding Association Qualified Counsellor. And just one other member of our team we've not mentioned because she's not an allied and doesn't work on fertility is Dr. Sapora Ben-Harim. And Dr. I bring Sippy. her up... Dr. Zippy. And I bring her up specifically because just before this episode, we recorded um, an episode with Sarah Powell from Pink Hope and we talked about breast screening. And once again, I'm going to urge everyone that if you need your cervical screening done, Dr. Zippy can help. Absolutely. As can your GP. And we offer a full service gynecology clinic at Women's Health Melbourne, including menopause, cervical screening by colposcopy, general gynaecology, contraception, CPs, a gun at uterine prolapse and vaginal prolapse, pelvic floor. Heavy periods, it. which will heavy periods. with her soon. Thank you, Raelia. I hope some patients are happy with your answers. It was pretty I pretty hope good. so. I hope so. 
yeah, look, it's one of those things as a fertility subspecialist, you know, I love my job and I spread myself quite thin, but without my team, I just can't achieve what I need to do every day. And, you know, they are kind of the, the wheels and cogs that help me do the best job I can for my patients. So you know, I encourage you to see them as an extension of what I want for my patients rather than any kind of, you know, substitute. We're all a team. We're working together. You know, whenever my patients are in any kind of fertility treatment, you are at the forefront of my mind. I think about you every day that you're in treatment and every time point that you have an investigation, I'm thinking about you and I'm concentrating on doing what I do best, which is making those decisions and my team members help me to implement them so that I can do those procedures for you personally and give you that personalised touch. Thank you so much, Raylia. So if you have a quick fire question for Raylia, we'll save them up for another episode. If you can send them to our email address, podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or on our Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast. And we'll record another one of these in a few months. Thank you.